the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God's word does that to us. As, as uh, Mr. Uh, Gerard talked uh, in, in, the, in the sermonette, we, we've, we've got we've to keep our noses in God's word. We've got to have a plan to keep our noses in God's word. We've, we need a plan as we get ready to go to the Feast of Tabernacles and, and we go through a change in schedule. Everything shifts. We're with different folks. We may have groups of families together, but what kind of plan uh, will we put in place to continually stay uh, keep our noses in God's word even during the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, once again, uh, I was struck by the degree to which one little letter, one little epistle, one, one little book uh, written by an apostle, in this case, uh, a, a book that is, has been divided into 12 little verses. Uh, I was struck by the degree to which something so short could contain such a gigantic life lesson for us. Uh, a, a gigantic life lesson for me, a life insight. All insight uh, that, that we see in God's word is, is amazing, but this particular insight is, is one which bears great relevance, uh, one, one which all of us must grasp now. Do you grasp this insight? Do I grasp it now? We've got to grasp it now, present day, and we've got to be able to grasp this insight as we go forward and near uh, this time period that the Feast of Trumpets pictures, the, the events leading up to and ultimately culminate with the return of Jesus Christ. Do you and I possess this insight? And not only that, does this insight direct the choices that we make as well as the way in which we approach things from the mind, the way, the way that we, we, do we use this concept as a foundational concept that directs all the patterns of our lives. I want us to think about this concept today, this insight that's covered in this little 13-verse book, uh, uh, this epistle that we'll, we'll, to which we'll turn here in just a, a few minutes. Personally, I find that I, as I do, as I, as I look at, at, at this insight, and, and as I keep this insight in the forefront of my mind, it writes me. It, it, keeps me, uh, it keeps me upright. It, it keeps me righted in terms of the direction that I'm going. It keeps me from getting off kilter. And when, when, things, when I don't do this, when I don't keep this insight at the forefront and let it drive everything that I'm doing, things get all tangled up. Things get messed up. Things get wonky. Things get discombobulated. All, all these things uh, get off. And interestingly, when, when I've found myself in some of these situations where I've not lived by this insight, not I say lived by, but I, where I've not applied this insight that's talked about here in Scripture, uh, the only way to get things untangled is to go back to that insight, reestablish it as the key approach towards, towards working through whatever situation uh, that, with which I'm dealing. It, it is the primary absolute, in my opinion, that I found in my life. It's the primary absolute from which everything must flow. Everything else flows in my spiritual walk. And as I think of this insight, and as I reflect on it, it also uh, represents one of, the, one of the most precious, one of the biggest blessings uh, that I've experienced as a married man in, in that, and I think uh, many, if, if not most of us, uh, husbands or wives 
can, can speak to this, one of the most precious blessings that I've received from God uh, is this, this insight that my spouse possesses to help me uh, uh, get righted, uh, right myself in times when, uh, when we struggle with an approach or, or a way of thinking. Uh, it's, a, it's a tremendous blessing that, that with which I've been blessed um, with the woman that I've married. I'll come to the insight right away. Do you and I possess discerning love? Do we possess discerning love? Love with discernment. Love songs are filled with uh, uh, love topics without discernment. Uh, I, I started thinking, as I've told you, what, about 177 times about how I'm lost in the 70s with music. Uh, but in the 70s, uh, it, as I thought about love songs without discernment, it took me about two and a half minutes to come up with these. Uh, I, I hesitate to go through these because of what it will cause you to be thinking of song-wise uh, throughout the message. But... Uh, too bad. I'll, I'll, cover, I'll, I'll cover them anyway. Uh, love songs without uh, discernment. Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band, uh, later made famous by Kenny Rogers and Sheena Easton. We've got tonight. Who needs tomorrow? We've got tonight, babe. Why don't you stay? Uh, most of you know that uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, if you can't be with the one you love, honey, love the one you're with. We, many, many remember that. A, a great song, a great, a uh, very famous uh, song, songwriter in the 60s and, and also in the 70s, Chris Christofferson, um, that, that wrote many, many songs. But this one uh, has been sung uh, kind of in the, in the country realm, but it's that song titled, uh, Help Me Make It Through the Night. Uh, one of the verses, I don't care what's right or wrong, I, I, I won't try to understand. Let, let the devil take tomorrow. Tonight, uh, I need a friend. There's another song that uh, I was thinking about, uh, Love Without Discernment, uh, Christine McVie, one of, the, one of Fleetwood Mac's uh, singers that, that sing, sang and, and wrote uh, songs for for Fleetwood Mac, but there's one, uh, one song that she sings that she, she titled, uh, Tell Me Lies, Tell Me Sweet Little Lies. Some of you remember that. Uh, and it's, in essence, it, it speaks to a, a failed relationship that she had with one of the, the band members, at least that was some of the background that I, I saw in that. But, but tell me lies. Uh, when I face, try to face the reality of, of our relationship, and as I, as I think of, of all the lies that you tell me, it's, it's, not, it's not a healthy relationship. But tell me lies, because the, this way we can at least keep it going. Uh, but all of these kinds of things about that. And, and a darker song that is, was probably not uh, as, as famous. Some of you may be aware of it. It's, it's a song that was written, I believe, back in the, in the 70s uh, by Rod Stewart, uh, one that I, you know, I knew a lot of Rod Stewart's songs uh, going through the, the 70s. But one I, I didn't hear till college or a little bit after uh, college. But it's... Uh, it's a song uh, that's titled The Killing of Georgie. And, and he writes this song about a man he knew that was a friend of his that uh, uh, came to 
the belief that this person came to the belief that he was a homosexual. And uh, he, and, and in doing so, he's trying to process how to go forward in life. And this, uh, the ballad of, of the killing of Georgie, one verse goes like this. His mother's tears fell in vain the afternoon George tried to explain that he needed love like all the rest. Uh, we see so much in society uh, the, the desire to be loved, to, to, to have love, to give love. Uh, but how much of that do we see is tainted with the inability to discern love without discernment we could come up with a, a bunch of other songs uh, that, that speak of love without uh, discernment and countless reasons over the years brethren countless reasons have been given since the beginning of mankind for folks to choose undiscerning love uh, or love without discernment. And, and let me clarify, when, when I say love, uh, I'm, I'm talking about as the world defines love. Uh, there is a love that is defined by God that exists in brotherly love, that exists in agape love, that exists in uh, eros. Uh, in, in, in all of those, there is, there is a, godly, uh, a godly type of love that is there, uh, the, the, the philia love, the brotherly love, all, there, there is that, and there is another type of love that is love without discernment. I submit to you that love without discernment is not actually love. It's not, it's not love as God sees love. Now, in the bigger scheme of love, um, we're, we're not going to just talk about uh, romantic relationships today, uh, although that is, it, that is a factor, and that, that has been a factor for many, of, of, of not being discerning with, with how they ex, ex, experience and, and take in and, and give love. But we will talk about other, uh, I would like us to keep in mind other aspects of that, other, other interactions, uh, family uh, friends, church members, uh, the world as we interact with the world. So as, as we think about that, do we see undiscerning love or love without discernment, do we see it for what it is in society? Do we get it? Do we, when, we, when we see that going on, can we call it what it is? Do we acknowledge times, and I'm not going to say uh, if, I'm going to say when, uh, when, when we ourselves when this has occurred in our lives, when we maybe have, have gone in that direction, in whatever area of, quote, love, where it's not been with discernment. Have, have we ever battled that? I, I, I think if, if, we're, if we're truthful with, with, with ourselves in looking at that, I, I, I think we can say that, that sometimes that has crept in. It's, it's part of human nature uh, to allow that in. When that has happened... And, and some may be battling some of that now. But, but when, it, when it has happened, do we acknowledge it for what it is? Do we turn away from this love without discernment and turn to God fully when we recognize that that's taken place? Some have tragically gone down the path of, you know what, I can, I can go outside. I, I can just go outside the boundaries or, or off the path of what God says uh, through this, through his word, 
uh, what, what God, the, the word that is living, that's alive, and, and that God himself is breathing himself in his teachings, in his ways of life. I can go outside this. I can go outside of this to, to find, to experience, to give love. Some go down that path. So, and, and I ask us, uh, as, as we look back on our lives, uh, and hopefully we've, we've recognized when, when that's taken place and we have turned from that. But some can go down that and allow that to take them in a direction that, that, that turns them away from God and, and not to return in this lifetime. Let's go to the book uh, to which uh, I'm, I'm referring today that, that uh, many of you are ahead of me, especially when I said uh, 13 verses. It's, it's one of the epistles of the Apostle John, and it's Second John. When I read letters like this, especially this epistle, while I realize that, that God breathed himself into these living words, I, as I read these, I try to think of, okay, I know obviously this is God's word, the, the original autographs as they were written are what God uh, directly inspired, what God directly wanted said. It is, it is his essence and his, his thought patterns and everything that he wants for us as he's communicating to us was, was put down here. They, they, it is alive because he is alive. He is, the, these words are not dead. The, the being that is eternal has said these things. So I, 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 as I think of that, I, that, that gives me great comfort. But at the same time, I strive to, to try to put myself in, in the shoes of, of the human being who wrote that down, the human being that, through whom God was working to get these words out to the individual. So I think, I think of John. Uh, I, I think of the readers uh, who were reading this passage and, and how they were interpreting what was said. What was going on in, in John's mind? I, we understand uh, the time frame of this. I think most of us do. Let's look at verse 1. The elder. Of course, of course uh, Peter uh, describes himself as, as an elder at one point, and, and elders are talked about in, in God's word in, in the New Testament. In, in the various roles, Paul, of course, in his uh, pastoral epistles, talks about the elder, the, the bishop. But, but John himself, he, he was an elder. He was an elder. But uh, in, in some respects, uh, he was the elder. He was, in a sense, the lone apostle elder that was still around. Uh, most Bible helps will say this was written either uh, some of the older text will say it was 80 to 100 AD. Uh, others have narrowed this down a bit to maybe 85 to 95 AD. As we know, all the apostles were dead. They were, they were martyred. They were dead by then. Most likely, John was, was the only one that was still around who was, was an apostle there uh, with, with Christ uh, as Christ lived. This person is the elder. He's, he's the one who has, uh, is thinking back on all of his experiences, on his calling and on his direct interaction with Jesus Christ, what that was like to, to be with him, to, to see him die, to witness that death, to see him resurrected, to see him being raised up to the Father, to see him work mightily in, in the apostles and, and in him as, as he uh, preached the word, to see his friends, uh, his loved ones die in, in service 
to that way of life. And here he is nearing his time of departure from this world, his time of death, and thinking, I, I want to convey something here. I want to convey something to, to these individuals whom I love. The elder, notice to whom he writes this, the, to the elect lady, or as the margin renders, the, the chosen, the chosen lady, as I think most are aware as well, this, this, uh, there's, there's, great, there's always been great debate about this, and I don't think it can it clearly be said if it, uh, which it was. Was it an actual lady who was an elect, august lady in the congregation would that everybody deeply respected and, and had children that, that walked in in God's ways was it that or, or was it was he actually referencing as a, a case can be made through this epistle itself and other and other epistles that he could be talking about a church uh, to to the elect church and her children the the individuals uh, in a congregation to whom he sent this letter it could, it could be it could be evidence, uh, there, there is evidence for that. I'm going to look at it as, as God's word is living, uh, as it is alive, as God's word is, is meant for us. I tend to look at it a, a little bit more from the latter, that it probably is a church. It, it, it probably represents, uh, if, if uh, well, again, the the, the reality is, is, is this letter applies to me because God wrote it for me, so I'm going to look at myself as the elect lady, as part of the, as part of the church. Uh, and he's, he's writing to me, this has application for, for me now. So, so in thinking about that, let's look at the, uh, what, what's going on here. One of the things that I believe it's the uh, New King James, yeah, New King James Nelson Bible. As we just look in the, the basic beginning of that, if you've got uh, that kind of Bible in front of you, there is a brief write-up of it, a brief summary. And, and I like, I like the, the write-up here because I think it speaks to us. I hope it speaks to us. I hope it speaks to you uh, in how you identify yourself. It says this, Let him who thinks he stand... Stands, take heed lest he fall, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. These words of the Apostle Paul could well stand as a subtitle for John's little epistle. The recipients, a chosen lady and her children, were obviously standing. They were walking in truth. These individuals were standing. They were walking in truth. Uh, and we'll, we'll read about that here in, in just a minute. But and they were remaining faithful to the commandments they had received from the Father. He's deeply pleased to be able to commend them. They were standing, and yet, as, as we know, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us, we must take heed lest we fall. And he, he gives them that warning here as we get uh, later in the epistle, this little tiny short epistle. I hope all of us are, are, are considered before God as the elect as the ones who are standing, who are standing up against the wiles of Satan the devil, that stand up to face that, that don't, that don't knuckle under and, 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 and turn from a, in, a, in a weak way, but we stand, Ephesians 6, against the wiles of Satan the devil, the, the wicked spirits in high places. We stand up against that uh, as, as God's elect, as his, his chosen. So now, uh, the letter goes... Uh, 
on to mention what we would consider, what, what I would consider to be the all-important truth factor. That, that will be what we come to here in, in just a minute as, as far as I think one of the, the key aspects of love, uh, discerning in love. Let's read here. Uh, in, verse, in verse 1, as he continues, to the elect lady and her children, he says, whom I love in truth. Now, Heinz Kassirer in his, in his translation says, whom I love in very truth meaning that's uh, from the standpoint of, hey, in truth, I love you. I, I really, I'm, I'm saying this, it is the truth. I, I, I love you in truth. Uh, could be that. I think something could be said for I love in the truth, but, but, but I love it in truth. I, I love you in very truth. I love, I, I, I love you, this, this church that, that, that he, to, to whom he's addressing this letter. But he says uh, in, in, uh, in continuing, and not only I, but, but also... Uh, all those who have known the truth. I, I love them in truth, and, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth. So he, he talks about not only uh, loving in truth, but this aspect of those, as Kassira writes, who have attained to knowledge of the truth. Brethren, we have been so blessed uh, to, to be called in, in this era of the church to be given the truth of God, the, the truths, the truths to which uh, Mr. Girard said God expects us to study the, the, the hope that lies within us, to, to be given these things, to be able to stand for those and, and defend those uh, through God's spirit as he works with us. But, but to know the truth, he loves, loves those and, and those who have, have known the truth love. Uh, look, look at verse 2 as we continue. Because of the truth which abides in us. The truth is, is so critical to this, this understanding of, of being able to love. It, it cannot be pulled out from truth. And that's, that's part of what we're getting at with, with discerning love and, and love with discernment. It, must, it is inextricably linked, linked to truth. And, he, and not only that, but he says, it, it, and it's not only a knowledge to the truth, but it's because the truth is, is not here uh, only. It is, it is here. It abides in us. It, the truth exudes from us as we interact with others. It, it is part of our nature. This, this love is present because of the truth which abides in us. The truth dwelling in us is directly connected and in part responsible for the love that we have for one another. I think that's what he's getting at. Truth matters. Truth matters. Let's jump to verse 4. He says this, and again, in, in thinking about if, it, if he is actually writing this epistle to a church, he says, I rejoice greatly that I found some of your children walking in truth uh, as we have received commandment from the Father. <coughs> Excuse me. So again, again, we're not only talking about, uh, I actually love you. I love you in truth. Uh, and and the, the truth abides in you. You know the truth. The truth abides in you. But we also see that he says because they're walking in truth. It's the truth is what drives them. Everything ab about their existence is driven by the truth. As we have received commandment 
from, from the Father. He takes great rejoicing in that. Now let's go back to verse 2 uh, and, and look at the last part of verse 2 because this, this strikes at the heart of the insight that, that God through the Apostle John wants us to possess. Uh, and hopefully I can explain this adequately. Uh, let's go back to verse 2. As well, let's go back to verse 1. So, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, uh, and not only I, but also those who have known the truth, because the truth which abides in us, he says, even rejoicing, verse 4, that, that they're walking in the truth. And then notice the statement that he makes at the end of verse 2. This truth, this, this truth that, that they've been given as, as the chosen of God, this truth abides in us, and it will be with us forever. The truth, the things that are true, uh, the, the word of God, the, the teachings of God, the, the, the calling of God, all that's a part of, of this way of life that, that we see contained in the very breathed words of God, will be with us forever. Keep your finger there. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. When he, he speaks, when Paul speaks of, of love and the various aspects of, of what love is, uh, we'll break into the thought here at, at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6. 1, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6. Love, love doesn't, does not rejoice in iniquity. Love rejoices in the truth. The, the love that God is talking about, what is, what is true love? What is the, the love that, that extends to us, is extended to us by the Father? He is love. Jesus Christ is love. This, this kind of love, it says here in verse 6, rejoices in the truth. This kind of love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all thing, things. Love never fails. Love never fails. And, 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 but the, the interesting thing in terms of the inextricably linked nature of, of truth uh, is that love which never fails rejoices in truth, the truth which abides in us, and the truth that will also be with us forever. Why, why are, are love and truth inextricably linked? Why are they? Because they represent the nature of God. They re represent the nature of these two eternal beings that are truth, that everything about them is truth, and everything about them is love. You, one cannot pull them, one cannot pull them apart. You, you can't do it. Anything, doing anything that pulls that apart and we still try to call that love? You see what I'm saying? And, and, and that's why it's so foundational. It's undiscerning love to do that. That's why it's so foundational for us to build everything, our thoughts, our actions towards one another, our, 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 our thoughts in terms of the future, our, our thoughts in terms of what am I thinking about now? What am I, what am I going to be doing later? It's, it's got to be grounded in both of those because they are eternal. They represent an aspect of the nature of God and Christ. They uh, abide in us and they will be with us forever. Love and truth 
extend into eternity. They both represent the eternal nature of God the Father and Jesus Christ. They are crucial in our developing the mind of God. They're crucial in our being able to experience, and let's read it. Let's go to 2 John, uh, back to 2 John. Love and truth are crucial in our, you, you, you and I, in, in our being able to experience, verse 3, Verse 2, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever, because of that, he says, or it's in the English here in this version, it's, there's a colon after ever, and to some degree one can say that it is a greeting that he's in his greeting towards them, but I think there's something deeper going on here. He says, be, this, this, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, grace is extended. As, as we, we, we recognize God's, God's love for us, his, his, his love is, as exemplified by grace, him looking down upon us uh, out of grace, out of his uh, considering us favorably and bringing us under the shelter of his wings in that relationship with God. Uh, he says, grace, mercy, and peace. I want all three of those. I've got to have all three of those. I, I'm in bad shape if I have only two of them and not three. Uh, in order for us to receive grace, mercy, and peace from the Father, uh, it is inextricably uh, aligned with, with the truths of God. It's inextricably linked to the love of God. Because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you. And that, that, that will be with us. It comes from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, we, we need all three of those. I, I strive to be merciful with others. I, I know I've got to be merciful with others because I, I would like to obtain the mercy of God. Uh, I want to stay in a state of, of being in grace with God. And, and boy, do we need peace. Boy, do we need peace in our, in our minds. And so to, to be able to experience peace in the midst of the, the, the traumatic things that, that we're going through, the, the health issues, the, the, the challenges that we see going on around us in, in society and, and maybe right next door with our neighbors or being in an unsafe situation, whatever the challenges, the conflicts that are out there, grace mercy and peace will be with us. God will give us that peace. He untangles the, 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 the things that are, get all tangled up through this discerning love, this, this love with discernment, this love with the discernment of, of what is true and what is not and calling it for what it is. Through that, we receive from God the grace, the mercy, and the peace. Now, again, caveat, I understand that it all begins with God's grace. Uh, we, to do this, we get God's grace. I'm not saying that. God's grace extends out to us. But, 
but as uh, Mr. Jones talked in his split a while back, uh, we, we grow in that grace. We, we grow in that with God as we greater and greater understand it started with him reaching out to us, and we recognize the depth of what's going on and, and God's love for us and how much it is tied to our being locked into the truths of God, the things that are true and right, and kicking out the things that are not. So with that said, let's go uh, over, uh, keep, keep your finger there if you would, let's go over to 1 John 2. 1 John, uh, so many of the principles that we see in 2 John tie to 1 John as well. But let's look at 1 John 2, we'll just read one, uh, a couple of verses here in, in 1 John 2 verse 20. 1 John 2, verse 20. He says, but you, speaking of what we read in 2 John, here we are, we've been chosen by God. We are the elect. Uh, Wonderful blessing to to be given that status. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. God's given us this, this package of, of truth, this, this way of life that the world doesn't understand. It doesn't mean we're way up here and they're way down here. We're just, we're very blessed. We've, we've come under God's favor to receive that. Uh, and it is precious what we've been given. You have an anointing from the Holy One, speaking of, of, of God's Holy Spirit, uh, as, as well as the, the ability to, to understand what we understand and, and have it dwelling in us, the, the truth and, and, uh, and the Holy Spirit. And you know all things. He says, I'm not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. And you know that no lie is of the truth. No lie is of the truth. It gets so critical, uh, becomes so critical as we make the decisions that we make, as we have the pulls and we see the temptations in different areas of our lives to, to bend this a little bit or, or step slightly outside of what we know, what we know the truth tells us. So when, when, that, when that happens, do, do we recognize it? Do, are we able to call it for what it is? No lie is of the truth. We, we see that. You know, who is he? Who is a liar but he who denies that, that Jesus is the Christ? And he begins to go through to talk about the, uh, the Gnostic, uh, one of the aspects of Gnosticism, this, this whole thing of docetism that we'll cover here in just a little bit. Uh, the issues that Paul was, uh, that, that uh, John was addressing in his day. What are the issues that, that work against the truth now in, in, in our day? Do we recognize those? Do you see those? Do we, do we see the, the attacks against the truth? And can we call them for what they are? That's part of sighing and crying for the, uh, you know, for the, the sins and the abominations of, of the people around us, that we eagerly uh, seek uh, God's kingdom, that we want that mark on our foreheads, not 666, but we want the, the Ezekiel 9 mark on our foreheads that God places because we, uh, we can see that no lie is of the truth and that we embrace the truth fully. All right, so with that said, let's go back, let's go back now to 2 to uh, John. On a, and, and first, let's talk on a parental level. And I want to talk to the parents here right now. And I want to talk to the children that are in our audience. 
Let's go back to verse 4. He says here, I rejoice greatly. Now, again, is he talking to a church here? It could be. Is he, is he talking to a woman uh, and, and her family? Could be. Let's think about this from the parental role. He says, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we have received commandment from the Father. Parents, uh, those of you who are parents, is there any greater joy than, than any of us can have than seeing our child or our children walk in the truth? Those of us that are parents, you know, we've, we, we see the ups and downs of our children's lives, and, and, and I realize with all of us here, we have children that, that have grown up and made decisions that may, were not the best decisions, and we have uh, others that have, have made the decision to commit to this way of life. And, and, and as a parent, it grieves us when we see them, and they have the power of choice. We've taught them to the best of our ability. It grieves us to see them to see that they uh, have chosen uh, a different direction or, or maybe because of a pull here or a pull there or a lack of understanding or, or whatever the factors were that they're in that, that state. And I, I don't want to be insensitive to that because uh, uh, we also have a God and, and a father of, of all of mankind that looks down upon his children, who's not willing that any should perish, and that greatly desires to, to help them come to understand that and to come to the point to where each individual will uh, hopefully, when he or she fully recognizes that, will, will turn to God and, and bow the knee to Jesus Christ and begin to, to live that way. I mean, we, we yearn for that. Uh, but as a parent, is there any greater joy than seeing a, a, a child, to seeing our child or, or children walking in the truth? To see them at age-appropriate levels, uh, at, at their own level of understanding, to grasp certain concepts and to internalize those truths and begin to walk in that and, and live in truth. I as a parent, I can't think of a, of a greater joy than I could have. You know, is, is it money do it, what, to see them successful, to see them healthy? You know, you should, you know perish the thought that uh, one, one of our children should have a, a life-threatening uh, disease or, or die or, or, or be killed in a car crash or, or whatever. But I, even if that were to happen, I cannot think of any greater joy uh, for me as a parent than to know that, that, that my children have, have grown up and chosen to commit their lives to, to God and live in that truth, uh, live in that truth until they die, if they die in a car crash today or if they live to be 99 and, and, and three-fourths. Uh, I, I challenge us all to come up with, with a greater joy than we as parents can have. I can't think of any. Uh, with God the Father and with Jesus Christ, is there, is, there any, uh, is there any greater joy for them than seeing their children walking in truth and love? I, I can't think of any. I can't think of any. Why? Why, why is that? Because, I, again, I think because that is who they are. They are truth. They are love. Their, their essence, their, their eternal nature that has always existed and will always exist, exist in truth and love. They, 
they give that. As, as, they, as they see their children walking in truth and love, they see themselves. They see individuals with the mind of God. They see eternity. They see us dwelling with them in eternity. That's, that's, that's the bringing many sons to glory. Truth and love are combos. They're a combo aspect of, of these two beings' eternal nature. That nature which is their nature and that nature that will abide in us forever. This represents, in essence, uh, what I'm trying to get across today to all of us. This is discerning love. This is love with discernment. Can we, as God's people, can we call love without discernment for what it is? Can you do that? Can I do that as I go forward in my life? Can I see it clearly as the attacks come my direction, as I see situations that may make me un uncomfortable in how to deal with it, and, and knowing that if I stand up here for this, it's going to create this challenge here or this challenge here, or, or as I'm pulled this way to, to sense my nature wanting to go that way, it seems easy. Am I able to, to see that? Are we all able to see that for what it is and say, this is not love. This is not love with discernment. This is not something that is eternal in nature. This is not something that is God. This is not something that is Jesus Christ. I, I reject that. Look at how John extrapolates on this concept in the next portion of his letter. Let's go to, to uh, verses 5 through 7. As, as we, we've said, and I think as most, most are probably aware, John was dealing with this, this, this concept of, of docetism that was extant, uh, or extant, or was, I don't know if it was extant, but it was, it was being pushed by, uh, by some of the Gnostics at the time. He wanted them to discern this lie. It's a lie. It is not of the truth. Uh, docetism, uh, basically, I, I think I, I've got this right looking at some of the different uh, texts about it. Then most, I think, I would say most in Christianity would, would state that this is heresy. It was the battle at the, uh, that was raging at the time. But Christ gave the appearance of being a human. He wasn't really human. He gave the appearance of, of being human. Uh, but that was only an illusion of the greater reality. And the, and the greater reality uh, was it, it seemed like he had a body. But it, and it seemed like he suffered and died. But in reality, that never occurred. It was, it was like a, a specter or a, a phantasm of, of what, you know, of what was really happening. Uh, you know, John, John who had, had, had dwelt with Christ, who had rested on his bosom, uh, this, this guy was flesh and blood. This guy uh, was the son of God, and he was very human. What are the truths? What are the truths? Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He suffered and died. He was dead without thought, without any existence for three days and three nights. He would have remained dead had not God the Father raised him up from the, from the grave. He was the firstborn. He was the first person to be raised from the dead to spiritual life. That is truth. He was the one who was granted to sit at the right hand of the Father. The Father and he grant us grace, mercy, and peace in truth and love. This is the love that we walk. This is love that we walk uh, according to the commandments of God, as he says in his first epistle. His commandments are not burdensome. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, 
And the truth is not in him. The truth isn't in that person. The truth that abides in us, that is, that will always be with us forever, does not abide in that person who does not keep his commandments. Truth. Absolute truth. Young people, it's the truth. You know, as we start thinking about where, where we're going and what we're going to do, remember that. The truth is to walk and, and to show our love for God through walking according to his commandments. That is the truth. Uh, do you want to abide in love and truth? Do I want to abide uh, in love and truth? Uh, if so, we must accept the absolute truths and walk, walk in them. These, these, these represent examples of absolute truths that, that God's word, the word of God that is living, give us, uh, gives us. I listened to uh, an, an uh, element of a recent Think podcast. Uh, Chris Boyd usually does the interviews, but there was a guest that day, and I, I didn't listen to the whole thing. I, I'd like to go back and listen to it, but it was a, a mathematician who'd recently written a book that was interviewed. And, and in, this, in this discussion, they talked about truths. And she uh, talked about how math has helped her understand people and, and the truths of math that, to which she's been able to, to uh, arrive at, at, at certain understandings have, have, have helped in, in other aspects of dealing with people. But she talked about mathematical truths. Uh, she talked about uh, scientific truths. And many of you uh, are much more familiar with the scientific method than I. I remember it from uh, fifth and sixth grade science, and I hated it. I mean, just tell me what, uh, tell me that this bone is the humerus, and, and, this, and this over here is, uh, you know, the parts of the cell. I, I, can, I can deal with that, but don't make me do the scientific method. Uh, which we had to do in fifth and, and sixth grade, but the, the way you, we come to scientific truths, and I'm not saying that this is, this is never appropriate, but, but uh, the, the, the method through which, and I think there are five steps, some use six steps, some use seven steps to the scientific method, but you know, basically you're dealing with uh, how to arrive at truth through the scientific method. We ask a question, what, we have a question. And we, we need to, we want to answer that question. So we research and, and then we form a hypothesis. I think the answer could be this. And then we begin to set up a series of experiments to test that hypothesis. And from that, we are able to draw conclusions. And as we do more and more of that and, 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 and round out our body of evidence, we come to a conclusion which represents a scientific truth based on what we, what we know. Now, the, the premise from which we started could be wrong. It, it could be this and this, but there is a, a, a degree of flaw uh, in that system in that there are, there are areas throughout that process to which we can, we can kind of go off. But we see so much of society is, is, is based on the scientific method. I, I'm not knocking the scientific method as a way to discover and, and learn. But, but, but as we know, brethren, we, we've been given absolute truths. They, they, are, they, are, they are revelatory. Uh, they, they come from God. But at the same time, uh, through faith, we need to either accept those truths or reject them. And, and the degree to which uh, we reject those, we're going to veer away from the truth 
which can abide in us and hopefully does abide in us and uh, will be with us forever. So thinking about that, let's go on to uh, verse 8, because verse 8 shows us uh, the danger, the, danger, uh, the dangers of, of the truths that we've been, that we've been able to receive as, as God's chosen, as his elect, the dangers to which, uh, into which we can, we can fall if, if we're not careful. He says uh, in verse 7, many deceivers have gone out in the world who, who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. He says this is a deceiver. This is antichrist. This is, it is an antichrist. It is something that is against Christ, the whole principle of, of who Christ is and, and what he did for us and, and everything about him, his, his teachings, everything. It, it's, it's the spirit of, of antichrist here uh, and very deceptive. It is not of the truth. He says, look to yourselves uh, that we do not lose those things we've worked for. What are the things that, that you and I have worked for, the things that God has given us that we've built upon uh, the foundation of God's love for us that he extended to us, that we're able to under, understand the truth? Look to ourselves so we don't lose those things that we, we work for, but that way we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses uh, does not abide in the doctrine of Christ. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ doesn't have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ uh, has both the Father and the Son. These are the aspects of of what constitute life. These are the aspects of of receiving eternal life, is abiding in the doctrine of Christ, the, the, the the teachings of Christ, who Christ was, what, what he taught, what was, what was, his, what was the, the plan to which he shared, with which he shared to all of us uh, from the Father, has both the Father and the Son. And then, as, as we see in verse 10, he says the degree to which we should reject that. Now, of course, as, as I think most of us are aware, back in that day, uh, it, was, it was traditional, uh, it was part of the, the uh, custom of, of the culture to to accept folks that are coming in and preaching and, and teaching and, and as they're traveling to to a city to take that person in and provide food and and shelter uh, for that individual as as that person is is teaching and, and he says individuals that do this and in this case it was the the docetism uh, kinds of teachings that uh, that that were there that Christ was not actually had not actually come in the flesh he says if they come to you and they don't bring this doctrine of, of the doctrine of Christ, he says, don't receive them into your house. Don't greet them. He says, it, it, because if we do, he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. It, it's more than just talking with an individual and stating uh, what we believe in interacting. The people that, that we take in and, and shelter them and provide food and clothing for them so they can go out and preach this heresy, he says, don't do that. You're, you're participating in helping them spread heresy. doesn't say to hate them. We, we honor them. We show love for them, but we show discerning love, love with discernment as we see these kinds of situations. We see an example of that here in Acts 8. Uh, Mr. Franks uh, quoted that recently. Let's go to Acts 8. Of course, Peter says to honor all people. We, we, we show honor. We, we show high regard for all people. All, all mankind is, is made in the image of God. We, we understand that. We don't, we don't uh, 
we're, we're very careful about how we view others in, in seeing their potential. Acts, Acts 8 speaks to the manner in which we can address individuals in situations when it is clearly, clearly off and uh, something that is contrary to the truth of God and, and very dangerous. And this, this person was in the position to where if he gained this, or as the way that he thought he could gain it, the influence that he had, uh, they, they had a very clear understanding. Peter was given discernment, loving discernment, to deal with him in this situation, the situation of Simon. So when Simon, uh, Acts 8, verse verse. 18. So when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, this, this power, he, he offered him money. He said, saying, give me this power. I, I, I would like this power as well that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money? He says, you have neither part nor portion in this matter. Your heart is not right in the sight of God. He was given discernment. He called it for what it is. And in love, he told him what it was because he, rep- he recognized the, the alternative, not standing up for the right situation here, not saying it like it is, uh, would, would continue to put this in a person in a position where he could influence others. Look at verse 22. He says, repent, therefore. This, this is the love that, that Peter has for this individual. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness. And pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart, Simon, that you, the thought of your heart, what's entered into your mind that is not the truth of God, it's not extending from the love of God, that, that this, this selfishness that you're, you're exhibiting here to try to get this for influence, that the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Peter said, for I see that you're poisoned by bitterness and bound up in iniquity. Lots could be said about uh, you know, going into the, the words here, but we won't spend time with that. Simon answered and said, pray, pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you've spoken may, have, may come upon me. Now, some would say, well, you read that and you, you think it's interesting that he didn't, he didn't say, uh, forgive me for thinking of this way. I've got to go to God and ask for forgiveness. He, he doesn't want these, these horrible things to come on him, uh, not necessarily that he would have a change, change in heart. But, but that's an example of, a, of an individual, Peter, who saw it for what it is, called it for what it was, had love with discernment, and, and stated what needed to be said. That's difficult. That's not easy to do as God's people. But uh, God uh, holds us accountable uh, for, for these kinds of things as, as we see the, the time and the setting and, and how best to handle some of those situations. As we begin to wrap this up, uh, I think there's a little trinket here in, in this letter for us to digest as well. Let's go back and read the last couple of verses here. So love with discernment, love that is constantly and always grounded in truth. I'd, I'd like to ask all of us as, as we leave today and as we think about things over the weekend to, to ask ourselves, what, what areas in my life, are there any areas that are not grounded in truth? Am I allowing myself to get in any kind of mindset or do I allow little things to where I, I, I in a sense, trick myself 
to, to reasoning and rationalizing around uh, the, the way in which the love of God, the love that God gives us, the love that is true love and truth are linked. Am I, am I allowing myself to get outside of that in any way? Paul, uh, John, John says here at, at the end, uh, and I think this is interesting because uh, of, of the shortness of this letter. He says in verse 12, having many things to write to you, I, I've, got, I've got a lot of things that I want to say. He says this, he says, I don't wish to do so with paper and ink. I, I really would rather not do that. Uh, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our, our joy may be full. You know, verse 4 says he, he rejoiced greatly in, in hearing that some of your children uh, were walking in truth. Uh, gave him a, a great amount of rejoicing. But he says, I am eager to come to you and be face to face, to be to be with you, to, to see you, to interact with you. Uh, and, and, and in that uh, elect lady, those, those who are standing, he says uh, that, that our joy may be full. I think of the, the challenges that they would have faced by, by distance then. I, I think of the challenges that we face as God's people in, in our lives being as busy as they are. Uh, the situation of, of our being able to come together, the called out ones, the ecclesia that are called out from this world that are chosen and elect by God and, and we are chosen uh, and, and, and being able to be in a state where we can interact with one another, uh, the Father and, and the Son abiding in us in truth and love. The eagerness that, that John ex expressed that he had to be face to face with them. Writing to one another was necessary. And I know we, we text, we, we, we email, we do uh, those kinds of things, and we have distance that we need to uh, address at times. But there is nothing like uh, being able to be together one, with one another. That's why John kept it short. I, I, I want to be together with you. I want to have fellowship with you. I want to share together in, in truth and love. You know, matters arise which sometimes necessitate our being apart. Christ he went 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness uh, to, to pray and prepare. He wasn't hanging out with a lot of people then. Uh, Elijah was on the run. Uh, Paul uh, went to Arabia for, for three years. Uh, Moses went up for 40 days. Uh, there, there are times in, in our lives where maybe we, are, uh, we, we need to have uh, some separation th that would be of a, of a godly nature as all those situations were. But, but brethren, we need to be together. We need to be together. We need to connect with one another. We need to be face to face that our joy may be full. So as we reflect on uh, this situation then, that, would, that, that along with this loving with discernment, I, I don't think that this was something that was any more important than it is now. Along with reading and internalizing God's word, and, and, and being a set, uh, set apart by God's word. God's word is truth. Uh, John 17, 17. God's people who abide in truth and love, God's people need each other. We strengthen one another. We're ironing, iron sharpening iron. For what reason? For what reason? Well, one of those reasons is that we can grow in exercising discerning love. Love with discernment. 
something that extends into eternity.